Welcome to Epiphany Brooklyn's podcast. I am Brandon Watts, lead pastor here at Epiph. Thanks so much for tuning in. Our desire is to join Jesus in his mission to redeem our city. May God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in each week. Grace and peace. What a delight it is to be gathered with God's people serving the person in the work of Jesus Christ. I love the way the scripture says it. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I know many of you are home. And so you're like, why would you quote that verse? I'm actually not in the house of the Lord. Wherever you are is the house of the Lord. There's a few people in here. Can we thank God for being in the house of the Lord? Amen. It is so good to be gathered with God's people, uh, even if we have to do so virtually right now. Uh, It's particularly a great Sunday because we get to celebrate a new group of what we call covenant community members. There's a group of people that have gone through uh, the last couple of weeks, really three weeks of a virtual covenant community class where we get to get in the nitty gritty of what the church is and uh, what our local church believes and our heart for the community and our desire to see Jesus uh, name uh, praised and, 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 and glorified in the midst of such a chaotic season. Uh, I'm grateful to be a part of the church and we get to welcome in a new group of members. Man, y'all can make a little more noise. I ain't scared of y'all. Y'all can make some noise. If, you, if you're online, if you'll do me a favor and just celebrate, do some hand emojis, do the two ones like this, that, that's with the things on it. Do some hand emojis so we can welcome in a new group of members. Their picture should be popping up somewhere uh, right now. There they are. Amen. We believe as a church that even in the midst of a pandemic, it shouldn't stop believers from committing to the body. Even though here on earth we are in the midst of a quarantine, heaven is not quarantined. Heaven is continuing to save people and uh, put them as part of the body. And so we set up an online membership class in order for believers to take advantage uh, of this great opportunity of being a part of the church. I say this often, but whenever anyone enters into a relationship with God, they're actually entering into two covenants. The first covenant that they're entering into is that relationship with the Lord, but it automatically puts them into relationship with God. I mean, with his body. And so I'm I'm grateful that these covenant community members are joining in to journey with God's body and with his children. It's very abnormal to be a part of the kingdom, but not be a part of his body. And so we are grateful today. So once again, if you'll do me a favor, let's welcome these covenant community members by doing one thing that's suitable for a Christian to a Christian. If you're online, if you'll just do me a favor, if you'll just type grace and peace, grace and peace. That is how believers would have communicated in the ancient times in the first century. Those of you who are here, let's welcome our new members by just simply saying grace and peace. And new members as your home, I need you to say back to your phone or your laptop, just say grace and peace. All right, let's dig in. And we got a lot of work to do and a short amount of time to do it in. Uh, If you'll grab your Bibles and go to Acts chapter one, Acts chapter one. Shout out to the band. Shout out to the worship team. Shout out to the tech team. uh, Everybody that is here that is is serving those those who are doing announcements and welcome and uh, everybody just puts their hands to the plow. Shout out to you. Uh, So as you turn there. Today is, is a unique day. Uh, we, we, I'm going to present something new, a new initiative that our church is getting into uh, starting this year that we'll do annually. And, uh, you know, today really is a heavy day for many of us, but specifically, it's a heavier day for a specific family within our church. Uh, and that's Ed, Tisha, and, uh, and Jojo. 
This day last year, we lost our beloved Elijah, Elijah Peralta. And because of the impact that he's made on many people within this church, including myself, the deep impact that he's made, uh, we set up something called the Elijah Peralta Memorial Fund. And so once a year, we will fund a child's future. So what we did was, was we randomly picked a pool of eligible children from Epiphany Kids Ministry of whom at least one of their parents are members of the church. We work with Trishna, which is our children's ministry uh, director, to select the child and the recipient of the first Elijah Peralta Memorial Fund is Ariel Horde, which is T.S. and Althea's baby. We can make some noise for, for that. The resources will be deposited into a savings account in each child's name once a year that uh, they won't be able to touch it until they're at least 18 years old. Uh, this is something that we'll do once a year during this weekend, every year for the rest of the life of our church. And we're, we're doing that because, amen. We're, we're doing that because Elijah has made such an impact on his four years on earth and his birthday is coming up next week. Next week, He's made such an impact on us on his short amount of time there's such a greater impact that he'll make even decades from now. Children upon children upon children will be able to be invested in books for their college, for their, for their, uh, for their schooling and tuition. And we'll be able to put that into account that will accrue. And so I'm excited about this, uh, this, this Elijah Peralta Memorial Fund. And I pray that you guys will be excited and pray uh, for the family today because today is a tough day. And none, unless you've lost a child, which I have not, we will never, ever understand the depth of that pain. And so the one thing we can do is pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, lastly, but not least, you know, Election Day has come and gone. It's been a, a crazy week. And uh, man, I, I just want to at least acknowledge such a historic moment uh, of last night being able to watch. Amen. Forget politics, forget your political affiliation. Such a historic moment to see the first uh, black uh, vice president. Amen. It, it's such a great moment. You know, in our country, uh, black people, specifically black women, have been on such an opposite end of any type of justice. And, you know, just think back to not that long ago, a century ago, black women were property. Like, like let, just sit on that for a second. The, the same way this table is owned by Epiphany Church, black women were owned. And then to see the, the second highest ranking official in the land be a black woman is such a moment. And so I watched last night as she stood up there looking dope as ever. As she stood up there, I, I just, I was, my eyes was full of tears. And, you know, just say, I've never in my life seen this before. I didn't even think it was possible but to see it was such a moment. So I just wanted to at least acknowledge that we have a ton of black women in our church. And, you know, this means more to black women than it actually does black men. It's such a honor to see this. Can we thank God for the work that he's doing? Again, I'm setting aside politics. I'm just saying we got to acknowledge the historic moment. All right. Acts chapter one. All right, I need y'all to rock with me today. We're not going to be long, but there's some stuff in here that I think is contextually relevant to the season that we're in. Why don't you pick me up in verse 6? It says this, So when they had come together, they asked, please underline this, 
Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Today, I want to preach from a short amount of time. We're not going to be long. I want to preach from the topic entitled Kingdom Over Politics. Kingdom Over Politics. Let's, uh, let's look to the Lord. Uh, Father, I simply uh, stand before you in awe of your grace that an undone vessel like me would be able to unpack your word. It's nothing but grace. And so, Father, we do not presume that we can understand your scriptures without you, your Holy Spirit moving on our hearts. I, I certainly cannot presume that I can preach from your text without your Holy Spirit leaning. And so, Father, I pray that we would be all, all be dependent on the work of the Spirit today to illuminate our hearts and open our eyes so that we can see the wondrous works in your law. Father, we pray that you would throw your weight around and do your thing like only you can do. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Kingdom over politics. Uh, well, this week has certainly been um, just an emotional roller coaster. I don't know about you, man, but waiting for ballots was just emotionally stressful. I, I was tied to my phone, if I'm honest with you. I was tied to the TV. I was tied to multiple news channels because, you know, each, you know, each news channel is biased to one lean. And so I just kind of wanted to get that middle ground and see what was going on in the nation. And so I was tied to the politics this week. 75 million people voted for the president-elect. 71 million people voted for the outgoing president. Please, please understand something, 146 million people, and they're still counting. 146 million people have voted. That is a record number. No other presidential election has brought out this many people to vote. And I'm excited about people um, really participating in democracy. I've been saying to you guys on a consistent basis and saying to our church on a consistent basis, are you registered to vote? Make sure you vote. Please vote. And, you know, because of all of the voting season that we're in, my, my fear, here, here's my fear. My fear is that we can get so sucked into red states and blue states that we forget that God's throne is in NDC. We can get so sucked into politics that we can forget that the White House is not God's throne. We can get so sucked in that we forget that God does not live at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. And one of the most dangerous parts about American Christianity is that sometimes if we're not careful, we can make Christianity synonymous with being American. Yeah. If, we're, if, we're not, if we're not really careful and we're not really cognizant of the culture and the politics and the church and we're not really separating church and state, if we're not careful, we can take red, white, and blue and we can wrap it around the cross of Jesus Christ. And what this text does for us today is the text literally is Jesus unraveling the American flag and any other national flag off of his cross because his cross stands alone. The, the, the cross does not stand shoulder to shoulder with any political official. The cross is a hierarchy and it always stands above any politics. And so today I want to help us to prioritize kingdom over politics. And don't get me wrong. I, I'm not saying disconnect from politics. I think you should be aware of what's going on in the nation. I think you should be aware of policy. I think that you should actually push to help shape and form policy. I think that you should vote 
in officials, elected officials that will have your agenda to push kingdom principles, but don't ever get it twisted. The kingdom is above politics. And so today, that, that's what we're going to do. How do we as believers operate post-election? Now that we have, a, we have voted, now that we have elected who will be the next commander-in-chief and who will be the next vice president and the cabinet that they will put together, what are we supposed to do now? Are we supposed to check out? Are we supposed to just be disconnected? No, the text actually gives us something important to do. But, but what it does is it helps us to understand that even though you're a part of this nation, this nation is not your final resting place. In other words, you're just passing through. I love the way Paul says it in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. Our citizenship is in heaven. And there we wait for our Lord and our Savior. And so in our passage today, you know, I don't like dropping into no context of no scripture without first giving some type of context of where we are. It's easy to just drop into Acts chapter 1, but not really know what happened before Acts 1. What, 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 what is going on? What's happening after Acts 1? That's how you get context. And in our context today, Jesus the Lord's Savior has been crucified. He's already died, and he's actually already risen from the grave. But Jesus does something interesting. He stays on earth before he ascends into heaven for 40 days. Somebody say 40 days. For 40 days, Jesus walks the earth, and the only reason Jesus walks the earth is because he wants to prove to people that are in disbelief that he actually did rise. There was a lot of contention going on saying that Jesus' body was stolen, but Jesus like, my body isn't stolen. I'm going to come back, and I'm going to delay my trip, my final resting place to heaven. I'm going to delay it to show you fools that I'm still walking around, and I'm still here. Jesus actually predicted his death and his resurrection in Mark chapter 9, verse 31. The son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. After three days, he will rise. But unfortunately, people were a little slow with the uptake. So Jesus says, I, I, I got I to gotta do a world tour. I got to just walk around and show people. I got to show up in, in places. There's a place in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 where he shows up to over 500 people. At one time, he often shows up to the disciples. He showed up to the woman, the women that were at the tomb. And so Jesus right now in our context, he's died. He's risen from the grave, but he has not ascended into heaven, seated on the right hand of the father. Right now, he's walking around in post resurrection form. And what I love about it is while Jesus is walking around, he has this great dialogue. And the dialogue that he has really shows us as believers what we should be doing in the season now that we have voted in elected officials. Let me show you what I mean. Look at verse six. Y'all with me? Verse six. So when they come to, had come together, they asked the Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Don't miss this word when they. Oftentimes we read scripture and we, we skip over Stuff like that. We'll be like, well, who's the day? We'll just keep going. But you have to answer the question. Good Bible study is answering the question. Who is they? Well, the they in this text is referring to the disciples. The they in the text is referring to Peter and James and John and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and, and Simon and Thaddeus and possibly even referring to Matthias because he's mentioned in verse 26 as the replacement for Judah. The disciples are getting time with Jesus. 
Because before Jesus ascends to the heavens, it's almost like he does a huddle. You know how they do on the football field before they go to the next play. They all huddle together and get their next instructions. That's what Jesus is doing. So Jesus gathers the, the disciples. And I always crack up when I look at the people that Jesus chose to reveal himself to. I always crack up when I look at like these are the last moments of Jesus. You, you know, if you knew you was about to die and you had a short amount of time, and you were about to sin into heaven, you'll never see people again. Like, think about the words that you would utter. You would utter your most important words, and what Jesus does here is he gives his important words, watch this, to a group of people that really are unworthy to receive Jesus' presence. He decides to show up and huddle up with a bunch of dudes that really are undone. Peter gets the presence of Jesus. That this is the same Peter that denies Christ. This is the same Peter that cut off the ear of the soldier because he was angered. This is the same Peter in the book of Galatians that tells me that he was shady with the Gentiles. But Peter gets an audience with Jesus. John gets an audience with Jesus. This is the same John that Acts chapter 4 will tell me John is an uneducated common man. Guess who else gets an, an audience? Matthew. Matthew is a tax collector. Tax collectors were hated in Israel, but here's why I'm pointing out just a few of the disciples. All of them were screw ups. And here is why I rejoice, because Jesus decided to show himself before he ascended into heaven to people that did not have it together. And that helps me rejoice because I realize if they get an audience then I can get an audience with Jesus, too. If they were able to commune with God and talk with God and, and, and walk with God, then you and I, no matter what you've done, you do not have to run from Jesus, but you can run to Jesus. Here's what I know. You never, ever, ever, ever can allow yourself to think that you deserve an audience with Jesus. You, you, that's entitlement. You don't deserve anything but death. I don't deserve anything but death. And the fact that Jesus allows me in his presence is sheer grace. I need somebody in this room that know that you don't got it all together. You've messed up a few days, but Jesus allows you in his presence is nothing but grace. It is grace that you get to pray. It is grace that you get to read your Bible. It is grace that you get to fellowship with the body. It is grace that you get to listen to the word of God today. It is grace that you get to come boldly before the throne of grace because you and I should be cut off from a holy God. But if they get an audience in the text, then we too can get an audience with God. And what I love about Jesus is he likes to give an audience with people because what he does is when he gets close to you, he actually brings value to you. Let me, let me say that again over here. When, when, whenever Jesus gets close to you and brings you up, he actually brings value to your life. There's a story of an auctioner, and he put on auction a violin. And this violin was, was beat up. It, it was dusty. It was, it was out of tune. And, you know, the auctioner was like, man, this is, wor this is worthless. This is not even worth my time. And he, he was right in that time when, when he put it on auction, it went for $3. And the guy who bought it took the violin and he dusted it off and he tuned up the strings and no one knew that he was an, a, a master violin player. And he began to play the violin with great precision and great quality. And after he got done, he donated it back to the auctioner. 
The auctioneer then took it and put it back on auction. And this time it did not go for $3, but went for $3,000. It's the same violin. What changed its value was because it was in the hands of somebody that was a master violin player. And so it is with Jesus. You and I get in the audience with Jesus. Is Jesus taking you and dusting you off? Is Jesus taking you and tightening you up and playing you and presenting you as a master Peace, you get value because of the presence of Jesus. You don't get value in and of yourself. So Jesus reveals himself in verse six to the disciples. But more than the fact that Jesus revealed himself, more than that is the fact of what they say when they get an audience with Jesus. I want to prove to you that they were a little slow and that they didn't always get it. Look at what it says here in verse six. It says, so when they had come together, They asked him, meaning Jesus, watch what they asked him. Lord, will you restore the kingdom, watch this, to Israel? In other words, if Jesus could get confused, this is the moment he's scratching his head. They are essentially asking Jesus if his final work before he ascended into heaven was going to be to restore political power to Israel. The, the, final, the final question they have is, are you going to bring us back to our glory days when David was the king? Are you going to bring us back to our glory days when King Solomon was the king? Are you going to make us, a, as Israel, a nation? Are you going to make us a mighty force when it comes to our, our, our armies and, 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 and our soldiers? Are you going to make us a global phenomenal, phenomenon? And clearly the disciples expected that Jesus' fulfillment on earth would be establishing a earthly kingdom. They want to know, were you going to do a revolution around the nation and use Israel as your cornerstone? And this would make sense, except for Jesus was constantly saying that political power is not what earthly political power is not what he was after. He was not after simply establishing earthly kingdoms. But he says there is a heavenly kingdom that I'm actually after. In other words, there's places where Jesus says heaven is my throne, but earth is my footstool. The goal was never to restore Israel back to being a political power. It was to bring people in Israel and outside into the kingdom of God. And so when they ask this question, God, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Jesus is like, fools, that ain't what I'm here for. I've been walking around all this time with y'all and y'all still don't get it. I've been telling you that my kingdom is not of this earth and y'all still don't get it. I don't know who I'm talking to today, but there's somebody that is more political than they are Christian. There's somebody that wants to restore the nation of America as though America's in the Bible. But when I read scripture, I don't see America in the Bible. The disciples misunderstood what God wanted to do through Jesus Christ. And here's why I want to warn us. Jesus mission is not to make America great again. And that's no shade. Jesus mission is, is, is not to simply look at the new uh, incoming president and saying through him, I'm going to make America a political force around the world. Jesus is still on his throne and establishing a greater kingdom than America. Christianity is about Christ and Christ is about Christianity. I said at the top of this sermon that unfortunately, many of us have taken Christianity and made it synonymous with America. And and it's dangerous to do that. It's dangerous to be overzealous through through being patriotic and being less Christian. 
My fear is that the church has gotten too political. I, I told you a couple weeks ago, listen, according to Romans chapter 13, according to first uh, Peter chapter two, yes, be subject to the governing authorities, but don't you ever get it twisted. Our, our kingdom ain't of the earth. There's a greater kingdom I'm living for. My home isn't here on the earth. There's a final resting place that I have. And so when they say, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Jesus is like, no, nah, that's not what I'm here for. Participate in being vote in voting. Listen, I don't see y'all stickers. I don't see y'all doing selfies with the duck lips. And you had the I voted sticker on. Praise God. I am glad you voted. But don't get it twisted. There is an election that has already won in heaven. And Jesus has won it every time. So you got to understand something. We believe in God's kingdom and God's kingdom supersedes blue states and red states. God's kingdom supersedes being Republican and Democratic. God's kingdom supersedes an elephant and a donkey. God's kingdom is about a lion and a lamb. And it is the lion and the lamb that I am striving after. And that is what I am living for. And so they say, will you restore the kingdom of Israel? Jesus is like, nah, I'm not here for politics. I'm not here for your, your petty politics is really what it is. Look around the news right now. Politics are petty. Jesus is like, I'm not here for that. My, my nation ain't around here. My nation, my, my goal, my mission wasn't to bring you up. I put in office who I want to put in office. And I use them as my pond and as my peace. And it is through them that I'll accomplish my mission. So the kingdom is deeper than politics. Watch this. Verse six. Y'all still with me? Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? Watch what Jesus says back to them. It is not for you to know the times or the season that the father has fixed by his own authority. The focus of verse seven really is on the authority of the father. The Greek word for authority is exosia. Somebody in the room say exosia. exosia. You, you got to say it, put your chest in it, say exosia. Exosia, exosia is, is, the, is the Greek word which the New Testament was written in Greek for authority. Exosia means dominion over political and religious spheres. And so although the disciples were talking about an earthly kingdom, Jesus immediately in verse seven talks about a greater kingdom. He, he shows that Jesus shows that uh, Israel is not the goal, but my father's authority in heaven is the ultimate goal. There is not an election that God is surprised by. Why? Because exosia. He's fully in control. This speaks to the sovereignty of God. There's not a candidate that rises up to presidency or vice presidency that God didn't know at the establishing of the world. God knew exactly who would be in place and somewhere in his infinite wisdom. He knows what the heck he is doing. Your candidate may not have gotten selected. My candidate may not have gotten selected, but here's where you can rest. Exosia, God's authority. God's dominion, God's power. The father knows what he's doing. And because he knows what he's doing, I choose to trust him. Does anybody choose to trust him today? And I'm talking to the one, like I get it, 71 million people did not get the candidate that they wanted. And so that might be some of you that's piped on right now. But here's what I'm, I'm encouraging you to rest in. Exosia, the Father's authority. The vote that you cast this week was 100% yours. The outcome was 100% God's. Let, let, me, let, me, let me say that again. Because that's the heart of exosia. That's the heart of authority of the father. The vote that you cast this week 
was 100% yours, but the outcome was 100% God. You cast the ballot, God chose the candidate. That's how it works in every election. We have a part to play, but it is always God's will that's accomplished, and he uses you. This is why, see, we're not robots. God, God doesn't just wind up the world and let it, let it run. He actually uses your decisions in order to accomplish his will. He doesn't control your decisions. You make the decision, and it's always what he wanted you to make. And that's like, well, how does that work? It's exosia. It's the Father's authority. And if we would just understand this, that earthly rulers are all put up by God, can, can we just agree, those of you who voted in the 74 million, can we agree that the last four years is somebody that God put up? Ooh, I know that hurts. I know that's like, huh? Can we agree that the candidate that is on his way out is somebody that God put up? I believe in exosia. Then let me say it this way. You know, I, I, I was a little perturbed last night. Is that the word? I think that's the word. I was a little confused last night. When I was looking around and I saw black Christians celebrating exactly what I celebrated at the top of this sermon, which was for the first time in this nation's history, we get to see a black woman as the vice president. And I saw people posting pictures of her and, oh, man, I clicked on the daggone comments. You know, the comments is, is you know, it's something it's something so like unsanctifying about the comment section. I clicked on the comment section and people were like, well, how are you going to post her? I may, uh, she's against, uh, she's for abortion. She's for LGBT community. And people were, were questioning Christianity. But he, here's what I, I realized when I see us being able to celebrate this black woman, that doesn't mean that we have to agree with every single political sphere. And, and what's frustrating is we point out her flaws, but we ain't point out the last 45 president flaws including the first one that owned 10 slaves, but I'm going to keep on moving. It's exosia. It's exosia. It's God puts up who he wants to put up and he uses them. The Bible tells me in Proverbs that the heart of the king is like water in God's hand. and He moves it in whichever way he wills. And so in verse seven, here's what he responds to them with. He responds to them and says, I know y'all want to set up a earthly kingdom, but Jesus doesn't wear Biden 2020 t-shirts nor MAGA hats. Jesus has on a kingdom hat. And the kingdom hat that he is pushing is God's agenda for the father's authority. And he really points, because I know what we're doing. We're going, okay, so what is my part? What am I supposed to do now that I voted? Now that the candidate's in office, what am I supposed to do? I love verse eight because it answers it. It gives, it gives us ecclesiology. Somebody say ecclesiology. ecclesiology. In other words, he tells you to get busy in the church. Look at what he says in verse eight. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, Jesus corrects their, the, the disciples' overzealous uh, patriotism as a nation and points them to having zeal for the church. Don't miss this. He depoliticizes their thinking and tells them, get busy building the body. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Y'all are still thinking about Israel? Y'all are still thinking about making Israel a great nation? No, Jerusalem, Judea. There's a nation that isn't even born yet that I got believers in. Get busy 
spreading my word, spreading my gospel. I know you voted. Praise God you voted. Now get busy. When's the last time we shared the gospel? That's what Jesus is saying in verse 8. You voting, but you ain't sharing the gospel. You building the nation of America, but you ain't building the nation of God's kingdom. So what are you doing about seeing lost people in Jerusalem? You know, if you live in Brooklyn, Brooklyn is our Jerusalem. It's, it's the place where you open your doors and you look out and you see people. This is Jerusalem. But, but it has to go beyond just Brooklyn. It has to go to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. I'm glad that Jesus said this because I'm saved right now. Hear me because of verse eight, ends of the earth. I'm the ends of the earth. You are the ends of the earth. The gospel was so powerful that it reached beyond Jerusalem and Israel and reached all the way into 2020 into Brooklyn, New York. And you get to say, I'm professing a believer. I'm a professed believer because verse eight worked, the ends of the earth. So he says, listen, you got to get busy. My last statement to the disciples must be the first priority of the church. Say that again. The last statement that Jesus gives to the disciples must be the first priority of the church. Y'all not feeling it. Let me say it to this camera. The last statement that Jesus gave to the disciples has to be the first priority of the church. Get busy sharing my gospel. Get busy telling people about me. Get busy discipling so that we can make people look more like Jesus Christ. Get off of social media and get busy building my kingdom. Get, 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 get off of your political soapbox and get busy sharing my kingdom. Get off of CNN and MSNBC and Fox News and get busy building my kingdom. Verse 8 says, you want to know what you do now that you voted? You share the gospel. You build my kingdom. Unfortunately, many of us are consumeristic when it comes to church. What the church got for me? What the the church doing for me? How, How the church building me up? And listen, don't get me wrong. The church should bring value to you. The church should serve you. As a pastor, my one job is servant leadership. It is not to be served, but it is to serve, modeled by Jesus Christ himself. But unfortunately, many people want to see what the church can do for them. And Jesus is like, well, in this, we, we need to see what you're doing for the church. How are you building the church? And I'm not talking, see, y'all think I'm talking Epiphany Church. Do you know how great the kingdom is that is so much greater than what's happening on Fulton Street? You think this is it? Did you read this text, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth? Jesus models for us what it looks like to have zeal for the church. If you want to say, well, where where do I get this zeal from? How how can I see an example of zeal for God's body? You look to Jesus. Here's why. Because Jesus had so much zeal for the church that he went and died for it. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. Jesus died not for a political movement, but for a spiritual one. He died for his bride. Many of us read that scripture and we simply point to husbands and we forget that husbands are actually modeling what Jesus has already done over 2,000 years ago. He gets up on a cross, not for us to parse politics, but he gets up on a cross so that we can see what true salvation looks like. The kingdom is so much bigger than our country. The kingdom is so much bigger than politics. The kingdom is so much bigger than red states and blue states, but the kingdom of God has to go deeper than that. Who is it that is stuck 
in the political world right now. Now, don't don't disconnect. I'm not, please hear me. I, I need you to understand balance. I'm not saying disconnect. We have to shape policy, but do not think that policy is it. Policy just helps us to reflect a greater kingdom. You know, one day Jesus is going to plop heaven down. Pow, it's going to hit us. And we next thing you know, you're going to be looking around. You're going to be like, man, how do these streets get so golden? How, how do these gates get so pearly? It's because Jesus has something greater that his body should be after. Who is it that's stuck in the political world? Who, who is it? Who is it that doesn't know Jesus? Let me go there. Who is it that, that doesn't know Jesus? You, you, you don't, you know, you know stuff about Jesus. You know Jesus like I know President Barack Obama. I met him one time. I was hype. Oh, I was hype. It was 2008. My family, my kids were young at that time. He rubbed my, my, my youngest son's head and shook hands. And I got to tell him I'm praying for you. And Ty got to ask him a question in front of everybody. It was, I mean, we was hype. But reality is, if he saw me now, he don't know me. Because... I know facts about him, but I don't know him. And my, my fear is that you know facts about Jesus, but you don't really know him. You, you, you know some things that you've heard some stuff about him. Grandma taught you some stuff about him. But do you actually know who Jesus is? My greatest contribution to your life today is to tell you that there is a man that died over 2,000 years ago. Are you listening to me? On a cross. And he does so because of our sin, not his. He had no sin. Bible tells me there was not even deceit found in his mouth, but he dies for our sin. And he does so because he wants to present you as holy and blameless and righteous before his father, who is also holy, blameless and righteous. Because the reality is only God can appease God. O only God, you, do you hear me? Only God is able to work the miracle that he worked in six daggone hours. And you and I get to accept that. Watch this. Worship team, y'all come on up. You and I get to accept this by simply confessing and professing faith in Jesus. That's it. You ain't got to jump through no hoops. You, you, you ain't got you, you to run for him. You ain't got to perform and earn it. It was already earned by Jesus Christ. I'm going to pray for somebody today. Somebody that doesn't know him. I don't know why I feel... I don't want to rush this part. I feel like sometimes, you know, this is not Epiphany Studios. It's Epiphany Church. And sometimes we rush, you know, we rush through stuff because we got an agenda. We, you know, we got, a, we, we got a goal that we're trying to get to. We're trying to cut off at a certain time. But there is somebody that is in bed right now and you happen to pipe onto our live stream, but you thought you were doing so because it just popped up. In reality, Jesus is trying to get to your attention today. He's trying to tell you, look, I love you, man. Young lady, I, I love you. And, and I want to present something to you that nobody will present to you for the rest of the day. And that's eternal life. It's only earned through Jesus. Your husband cannot present that to you. Your wife cannot present that to you. Your, your girl can't present that to you. Your, your boo can't present it to you. Your, your mama can't present it to you. Only one person can. And that is the person of Jesus Christ. Father, We've done our part in po politics this week. Those who live in this nation, I don't know if everybody's piped in from this nation, but those who live here, we've done our part. We've looked at the counties. We've counted the votes. We've organized. We've strategized. 
But Lord, forgive us for putting politics over kingdom. For forgive us, Lord, for putting our presidential preferences over Jesus. I thank you that Jesus sets us straight today. And you know what's so dope about Jesus? That he sets us straight and then the next verse says, he floats off on a cloud. <laughs> you know how dope that is? Father, that Jesus right now is at your right hand because of verse 9, which we didn't even talk about. He establishes order. He says, my father has authority. He says, build my kingdom in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. But he right now is chilling. Father, your son is on your right hand, waiting for orders to come back to get us. Waiting for the moment where he can get all the angels together and he can mount his horse with a tat on his thigh that says, King of kings and Lord of lords and a robe that's dipped in blood and he'll come back and gather all of us that have been struggling with politics down here and he'll bring us to a place where we'll never have to vote again but we'll never have to organize we'll never have to look at John King's map again because the kingdom of heaven has a throne that has been established forever and here's my joy Lord as it talks about the authority of you, nobody can dethrone you. There is no courts that can stack against you. There is no house of representatives that you have to pass laws through. There is no senate that you have to get judicial uh, uh, order through. But Father, there is one branch and that is the throne of you. So Father, I thank you and I pray that for the rest of today, we would ponder these things in our heart. And that we wouldn't walk far away from your kingdom, but that we would understand rightly that we should not over-politicize the world right now, but we should focus on Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.